This is the Providing Value Podcast. We're under-retailed. We have a half million square feet under construction today. Half of it's, you know, in the downtown area. Hey, I'm Zach Doris, and you're listening to the Providing Value Podcast, a show that features the numbers to know and the perspectives that matter in the commercial real estate market of greater Nashville, Tennessee. As a commercial real estate appraiser and lifelong Nashvillian, I provide you the same insight and tools that I have discovered talking with some of the most trusted voices in our industry. Join me today as I speak with Tony Vaughn of Colliers International about blazing the trail into specialization, restaurant rents, and the lack of proposed retail space in Nashville. Tony is a founding partner of the Nashville office of Colliers International. He's been involved in the real estate industry for more than 39 years, and he's conducted an extensive number of many notable transactions, almost too long to list here. Tony, how are you today? I'm great, Zach. Thank you. Great. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for saying yes to this. Thank you. Glad you're here. And one of the neat things that Tony provides to us here is his experience. And so I'm going to ask him to kind of get started here, of uh, just kind of giving us a little backdrop of your history in the commercial real estate industry, how it started, where you were, kind of what was going on, what that looked like. Sure. I actually um, I majored in real estate and urban development at the University of Tennessee, graduated in 82. Um, I chose that major because um, a gentleman on my paper out made $30,000 in 1974, and I thought that was an enormous amount of money. And mm-hmm. so I got my license when I graduated from high school in 77, went on to UT with the real estate major they had at the time. Um, came out, went to work for Carl Story Company. Um, uh, Carl III is still in business with Baker Story McDonald today. During that time frame, Nate Green, also at Carl Story Company, Nate and I went out and formed uh, Taylor Vaughn Green in 1988. Hmm. And um, 2000, we merged with Burt Matthews, Terry Smith to uh, form the Matthews Company, which ultimately became Collier's uh, a decade ago. Wow. So, correct me if I'm wrong, around 82, 83 was kind of your entry into... 84, 84. Uh, was when I went to work with, with uh, Carl Story. Okay. And um, Bill Armstrong was the managing broker. A lot of old-time Nashville real estate guys would remember Bill Armstrong being... Bill Vaughn's partner and Dick Fulton's partner in a company um, called Centennial. And so mid-80s, Nashville, since then, tell me, give me an idea of what it was like. What was the just commercial real estate in general? What was the feel of Nashville in those days? You know, it did not have, um, it wasn't a lot of pop at, at the time. Probably a population was about a million three in Nashville in those, in 84-ish, I'm guessing. Um, uh, technology certainly wasn't uh, our friend at the time. We, we um, I believe they delivered the first fax machine to us in 85. So prior to that, my first year, you know, it was dots on a map and um, FedEx, it cost $20 back then. You know, if you were FedExing a contract or, mm. or, a, or a map or, or a presentation, um, 
it just we just had no technology. Nobody had a computer um, except our administrative staff who just used it for word processing, for typing up contracts. We had one um, administrator that handled all 12 brokers. Wow. Yeah, so um, we did a lot of our own work. A lot of it was just filling the blank contract type work. So um, it, it was just tough technology-wise. Nobody specialized, really, and I believe that's one of the things Bill Armstrong uh, emphasized early on, and he had me choose a line. And I, uh-huh. I just, for whatever reason, I chose retail, and I chose to do restaurant work at the time and just mapped out every fast food location in Middle Tennessee on a map carried around with me for four or five years. No kidding. And um, Was it in your car when you say you carried it around? You uh, kept I, it with you? I kept it in the office. It okay. was, I kept it in the office, okay. but it was updated regularly. And, yeah. And, uh, but sometime in the late 80s, you know, 90, 91, um, mapping started becoming big and, uh-huh. and uh, some of the company's technology outpaced what I was doing. So we, we adapted. So um, you're saying you were Yelp? In the mid eighties, right. for yourself, that's right. <laughs> you knew where everything was. I knew where everything was. Yeah. You could. Uh, you were the guy. If anybody was coming to town, they would say, "Hey, where should we eat at, Tony?" You, you say, know, well, well it was more. It was more the fast food. It was you know McDonald's, <laughs> okay. um, White Castle, yeah. uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Long John's. They were all calling me because I had done some assemblages for White Castle that were um, hard corners. You know, White Bridge Road and. Uh, Nolensville Pike at Thompson hmm. Lane and mm-hmm. and and um, out in Madison that were difficult assemblages. So I, I got a little bit of a reputation early on, but um, had some success with with that and picked up some casual dining with Ruby Tuesday and did twenty or so Ruby Tuesdays through the nineties. So in that sense, you you said you picked up kind of you were attracted to that kind of fast food restaurant. Was it it just kind of like throwing a a pin at a map and that's why you picked that? Or did you have any sense of, this is interesting to me because... I I do believe it was uh, Bill Nard's conversation. It was nobody was specializing. And it was, you know, Nashville was growing. The suburbs were, you know, if you think back in 1985, 86, you know, the Mount Juliet's of the world were were not, Mm -hmm. just it was rural. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, my focus primarily was... Davidson County, maybe a little bit Rutherford County, but there just wasn't the expanse that we have today. I think Bill and I talked about the need, and and there was nobody specializing in retail other than a couple of guys at CBRE, David Baker and Steve Kroger, who are both still in the business, were were focused on um, retail, but nobody else was. So yeah. it was it was just a a need I felt like um, I could handle. So since the late 80s, you really kind of have specialized in retail properties here in Nashville. Uh, mm-hmm. All retail, uh, since really since 84. That's amazing. And that's one of the reasons why, obviously, I wanted to get you here is because I think that that history of seeing Nashville change in this specific asset class, you, you provide a lot of value, just your insight on the way things that, you know, they're working now and in, in the current state of the economic climate. What are you seeing now in terms of trends of, of retail properties? There's a lot of development, a lot of mixed use going on. What are you seeing uh, in a kind of a just open book on that? What are you seeing in terms of trends in the retail market? Are, are there any historically held beliefs that are changing in Nashville in this asset class? 
as we speak, any any common kind of misconceptions about what it is and what it's not? You know, I think what you had mentioned about the mixed use, there's so much mixed use coming online um, in in the urban areas and, and especially Davidson County, the Planning Commission, and what they've required of some of the developments that, that you and I are looking at right now out the window. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of mixed use. And, and from a retail perspective, at least my retail guys, um, that's not necessarily what they're what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- the mixed use is good for for restaurants, and you're seeing some service-oriented guys coming downtown, uh, whether it's banks or, or medical-related businesses or restaurants. But most of the retailers that I continue to work with, you know, Starbucks and Pacific Dental Services, and uh, rolling out Chase Bank in Middle Tennessee and Boot Barn and Bloomin' Brands, they, I mean, they're looking for the traditional suburban retail plays. Hmm. So we've worked on a lot of the urban projects that we're looking at here today, but they're, you know, they're a bit challenging because, um, while we have a great downtown population and demographic, you know, the restaurant business is extremely, extremely competitive, mm-hmm. you know, and the rents have, have escalated to a point that make it difficult for a lot of restaurants to do the volumes they need to, to sustain, you know, long-term success. Mm-hmm. Speaking of those rents, what are you seeing kind of, out some ranges right now in terms of our rental rates for retail restaurant space and yeah. you can even break it down however you want downtown suburb or class a class b class c kind of what any one of those would would suffice sure so the um the, the urban properties we're looking at downtown in the cbd or the gulch or west end um you know uh, we'll take broadway and broadway for example i mean 80 to 100 dollar a square foot rent, so you can't really survive there if you're a um, a Starbucks, for example. You mm-hmm. can uh, if you can find the right space and the right rent, but but most of those rents are really relegated to bars that can mm-hmm. generate twelve, fourteen, fifteen million dollars in volumes per year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look along Broadway, you're not seeing those typical restaurants, those chain restaurants, um, because the rents are too high to sustain the volumes that. They look at doing the you know the alcohol sales probably drive broad, but you get off of Broadway and get in some of the Sobro area or up uh, up the hill a little bit around Church Street. You're you're seeing rents in the forty to forty five, uh, even to fifty dollar per square foot range, triple net, which is uh, again it's you know if you're a six seven eight million dollar restaurant, you can make those numbers work. But but those are those are volumes that we've just started seeing in the last you know six seven years in Nashville as far as uh, these these restaurants are concerned. And not everybody can do those kind of restaurants. Right. The steakhouses certainly can. Right. And how uh, much in terms of their square footage, generally speaking, what's their ballpark that they need to yeah. make that work? You know, a lot of the a lot of the steakhouses, those guys are looking for, you know, eight, ten thousand square feet. And um can't tell you the number of, of steakhouses that have come through Nashville. Obviously we mm-hmm. have um, a subset of, of six or seven here who are successful, but there's been quite a few more, you know, three times that that um, have blown through and just can't believe our rents, can't believe what what they're exposed to because they're coming from Chicago or Indianapolis mm-hmm. and they think they're going to come here and get a, you know, a $20, $25 per square foot rent in the downtown market. It's just not our market, you know, so. Yeah. And it has moved enough that maybe the misconception is from out-of-towners that 
oh, we're still going to Nashville, the small town where we can get a great deal. But the reality is maybe, maybe not. Maybe not at this point. Right, right. Now, there's, there's just not, there's not deals. I, and I'm sure there are landlords out there that, that um, I don't want to use the word buy, but they, you know, they've given a significant tenant improvement allowance to uh, get the right concept. Right. And, I, and I, think that's a, I think that's a smart thing. I mean, you want, to be, you want to be a partner with your tenant. You want to be successful with what they're doing and, and their volumes, and you want them to be a long-term um, destination generator for your, whether it's your office building or apartment building or condo building downtown or a hotel. Yeah. And you said, you know, that, that idea of the landlord and the tenant being successful are you sometimes that gets translated into a lease by maybe a percentage rent something like that are you guys seeing some of those we, are you signing many of those no i'm okay. not no, none of the nationals will consider um, most of the nationals i'll say will not consider a percentage rent clause uh, but i think you know if you're dealing with a i don't want to mention any local specific concept but if you're a sure. local concept and you're comfortable with the volume you're going to do and uh, and the landlord is comfortable with his location thinking he can generate some additional income there there might be some benefit to that for the landlord to, to do that or the tenant but most tenants do uh, push back on on percentage rents mm-hmm. and i don't see most landlords requiring it you know there again some of the if if you're Green Hills Mall, there's probably some pushback there. There's probably where well, the landlord will, will have to have that. Or uh, maybe I haven't had the opportunity to do a deal at, at Fifth and Broad, but um, their rents were pretty high, and they were pretty tough negotiators on the things that we've, we've discussed with them. Hmm. Earlier you were saying, and I'm going to go back to this, if a landlord wants that that good relationship with their tenants, sometimes they will offer maybe above average TI allowances. Give me an idea of what maybe average is in terms of ballpark and then what you maybe have seen on the high end in terms of a landlord offer. You know, the market is, is 30 to, to 45 a square foot offered by landlords, but I have seen, you know, 100 to 120 per square foot offered wow. to, you know, push the rents up to that, that mid 40 range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and typically that gets amortized into that rate and thus increases it largely, or is it kind of some of it's just going straight into, well, this is the kind of credit tenant that I want here and I'm willing to give a little more to get that. And that's not going to bump that rate, but I still want it. Yeah. Is so that what you're seeing? Now, you know, it's a landlord's market here. So that, that initial 30 to $45 offer that we're seeing is above a cold, dark shell, mm-hmm. which is, you know, this is something that's evolved over the past mm-hmm. four or five years because typically a, a retail developer would deliver a vanilla box or, or you know, something similar to that that, that would allow, and, and then plus a per square foot um, allowance. Uh, but the last three, four, five years, everybody's gone to a cold, dark shell with the offer of uh, 30 to 45 a square foot, and which has even gotten worse because, you know, to get a vanilla box today, you're you're talking 50 to $60 per square foot just to get it to a vanilla shell. Mm. So, you know, anything over that is what I would consider the gravy and what, you know, some landlords might look at amortizing, but 
in this downtown market on a few locations, I have seen um, higher TIs because the landlord wants to, to fill the space and wants a good concept and wants to be that, you know, that good landlord partner and, and, and get somebody in. You know, if you go out to the suburbs, on the other hand, you know, it's it's still new construction. People are offering a cold, dark shell with the, you know, the $40, but there's almost never additional tenant improvement allowance offered unless it's a national like a a Starbucks or and they and they will factor that into the rent. Do you find that the landlords who would be willing to give an above average TI allowance when they create that kind of tenant landlord relationship that is maybe above average that they also uh, are maybe branding their mixed use property a little bit better? Does it play out in the long run? Is that a wise decision? Maybe, or does it just depend? I'm not sure. I mean, it's. I do think that in these urban settings that we have here with the hotels and apartments and office buildings, I, I do think that's probably a, a much better strategy there. I don't see that playing out in the suburban environments. I mean, it's just so competitive to get the good spaces today that uh, landlords are not having a hard time filling space up. I mean, our vacancy across the board, across Middle Tennessee, is about 3.2%. Mm-hmm. It's sustained that that um, vacancy rate for 14 or so months. Mm. We're under-retailed. We have a half million square feet under construction today. Half of it's, you know, in the downtown area. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I know of you know, several other you know, grocery-anchored projects that are not announced yet. So I think we're going to continue on the trend of delivering space, but there's just not enough good locations to th- sustain the demand that we uh, we have from restaurants and medical users, dentists, you know, all the, the service guys that go into these small strip centers. And when you say half a million square feet and half of that is maybe in the urban core, give me an idea of a big picture, what the numbers are that you know of, of total space. So we can have an idea of what, you know, what percentage, or if you know that off the top of your head, you may or may not, but to give us an idea of what percentage of the total is coming to the market, you know, because that's a big part of the economics of, well, how healthy is the supply-demand amount? You know, we've got about 70, that's about 73 million of existing retail in the market. So, you know, you're looking at what, adding another... Six, seven, eight percent, yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So that's that's the issue. But again, a lot of that is the uh, fifth and broad location of the Whole Foods delivery and Capital View mm-hmm. delivery downtown. So I still think it's going to maintain somewhere in that you know four hundred thousand square foot a year delivery when you when you think about the grocery anchored. When you think about what Tanger has announced out in Hickory Hollow, mm-hmm. there's some other things that are in discussion that that aren't public that. You know, there's so much entertainment-related retail that's looking at Nashville now that, you know, none of us really know who they are and, and uh, um, or where they can land. But it's just a lot of activity that um, I think will sustain this retail development. I think the challenge is appropriately zoned property. Mm-hmm. And, again, the, the, the cost of our dirt here because our dirt prices have elevated so significantly that it's it's impacted well, even in the suburban areas, what these rents have to be, new construction, um, I'm seeing nothing under 30 in the suburban areas hmm. you know, of surrounding counties, et cetera. 
Wow. That, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of what we're seeing a little bit too is the rising costs of construction as well. You kind of got a double whammy in terms of, well, everybody thinks their land is going up and then construction prices are going up. But to make it feasible, you got to back into it. And sometimes that number tells you what the dirt's worth. But does that doesn't sway landowners in terms of, well, that's what that means. <laughs> it never that's does. That's right. That's right. And, and right? that is a, a severe impact. The construction cost of uh, not just in Nashville, but everywhere. If, uh, any successful city today, it's Austin, it's Nashville. It's, mm-hmm. you know, Chattanooga is, is popping now. I uh, do a lot of work in Chattanooga. Um, so the construction numbers are, are difficult in most markets. Yeah. We're running into that a lot and having to be real careful about determining the financial feasibility of construction on different projects because of those land prices, because of those construction costs. I hear you saying that the the retail market is really strong. Is there anywhere in the Middle Tennessee area in the Nashville MSA that you could say maybe it's not, it, it's somewhat weak? Is there any any place, any geography that you could think of if it's Class C and... Uh, you know, Columbia. I don't know. I'm just throwing something out. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting you say Columbia, but no, I, I just did a Starbucks, a couple other deals, McAllister's down there. Uh, okay. I, I think that I just don't know of a weak sub-market in Middle Tennessee. Some are stronger than others, certainly, sure. but I don't see a weak sub-market anywhere. If most people that come to town lead with, you know, I want a location in Cool Springs, Mm. West End, mm-hmm. Green Hills, Brentwood. Um, and you and tell them you and everybody else yeah, that we've talked to. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So in, so managing expectations for these sure. retailers are, are critical. And um, if somebody's coming looking just for that, they may wait two or three years to have a chance. Really? To get a location. They may huh. never have a chance. Uh, again, I've got clients that would love to be in Cool Springs right now, but... Um, availability, price, you know, demand, uh, all those factors have created, you know, forty, fifty dollar square foot p- dirt prices, mm. mm-hmm. and uh, you just can't make those numbers work for a lot of the guys you mm-hmm. work with. Mm-hmm. So, uh, some markets are stronger than others, um, but we're seeing demand across the board. Big picture, our current as is situation is strong and i would agree where do you think the retail market is going in the next year next five years next 10 years do you you feel any shift coming or any transitions or anything that uh, might happen you know internationally or nationally versus locally right here in nashville you know obviously the 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 online shopping has impacted most soft Mm. goods and you know we're uh, we're not going to see, we, we haven't seen the last couple of years, and we're not going to see a lot of these big box expansions um, anywhere. You can't afford to do it uh, based on what we've discussed on as far as dirt prices, mm-hmm. construction prices, and then what the the big box retailers, and I, and I mean a Ross or a Marshalls or a, um, any of the office supply guys, um, they just don't pay the rents that, that can justify some of that development. So I think you're seeing a lot of the soft goods that will suffer by not being able to 
expand, at least in markets that are hot like Nashville mm-hmm. or Middle Tennessee. Service-oriented retailers, uh, which I'm fortunate enough, that's kind of what I do is service-oriented, whether it's restaurants or uh, the, the dental or, or the financial, uh, is those are the guys that are filling these boxes. Hmm. That's who you're looking for when you build an 8 or 12 or 15,000 square foot specialty strip or a grocery center with 15,000 square feet of shop space. Uh, it's it's the service-oriented guys you seek because they're the ones that are doing really well now. Their volumes are good. They are they are Amazon proof, um, mm-hmm. and um, you can't get you can't get a cup of coffee or or um, check your teeth, you know, on, mm-hmm. on Amazon. Right. So it's uh, that's where the market continues to evolve um, unless owners get right with their dirt prices and and by the way i've i've been involved in a deal where owner was giving his land and joint venturing and we still couldn't make the numbers you gotta be kidding no it's just it's just what the big box guys are you know they're they're willing to pay versus and those construction costs and if you're if your site has any amount of site work involved that's expensive it could kill a deal just Mm. even if you're getting the dirt for free right and nashville's a rocky place Yes. Middle Tennessee is a is a hard place when it comes to site costs. When we talk about the next 10 years, it feels like are we set up long term for health in terms of our, our market or are we in terms of Nashville specifically, are we at all uh, insulated from anything that do you feel like that might happen outward or if not, then expand any, any sense of that? Yeah, I think our, our- the planning commissions in our surrounding counties, I think, you know, they're they're all um, managed growth. Uh, you know, I think if it's done right, uh, I think we're going to continue to have a shortage of retail. But I, I think, you know, you've got your, your areas like Cool Springs that are regional in nature that um, probably can continue to support you know, a lot of the, the residential growth in, in those counties, uh, Williamson, Rutherford are both high on everybody's list when we bring somebody to town, uh, Sumner and Wilson as well. So regionally, I think we have the regional destination locations. We probably could use more local, small specialty strip, but I think zoning will continue to be, zoning and competition will continue to, to make those difficult to pull off mm. just because you can't. You know, you can't find the the pads uh, when you're fighting with all the restaurants and banks and mm-hmm. convenience stores mm-hmm. uh, for these primary corners. I think we'll continue to see opportunity. There's just so many people looking, and, you know, it's a survival of the fittest in the retail world. Yeah. Speaking of that, what is there anything right now that you guys are involved in that's kind of, yeah, we're, we're excited about this project. This is a neat kind of feather in our cap kind of project or anything that you'd be willing to share some details about, maybe not details, but just generally kind of project scope or anything like that. We've had the opportunity to work with um, Chase Bank and the rollout of their market strategy here. And, Mm -hmm. and um, uh, obviously working with the largest financial institution and, and the country is, is uh, we're, we're real pleased to have that opportunity. And uh, it's been challenging and that, you know, they, that we, we want the best sites, the best corners. Um, but we've had 
success and really enjoyed uh, working through that process with with the, the folks at Chase Bank. I know there's been four or five of those announced, and and um, so uh, that's been a, a great account and a challenging account based on how competitive our our Middle Tennessee market is. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting with the bank use. Uh, I know that in recent years with more of the online banking that's going on, the the traditional brick-and-mortar store corner of the two main highways has sometimes, in some of the more rural areas, faltered. But it's interesting to hear you say, hey, they really feel that there is a, a, a good market appeal to, to come in strong and create that brand, create that presence in Nashville in that way. Yeah, they're a, they're a retail-oriented bank, and um, I know I've got a couple of Chase cards credit cards in my wallet and right. most, most I do people too. <laughs> do and um but but they like that exposure they uh-huh. you know, we're, we're focused on that and, but you know there's other banks uh, i know that fifth third and um pnc coming to nashville there are mm-hmm. other retail banks pinnacle locally here that continue to expand with the the brick and mortar uh presence here in middle tennessee there's other competitors who have the similar model but they've been a joy to work with, and they're fun. That's great. Maybe last question here, and again, going back to just your history here in Nashville, what are you most proud of in terms of your professional career or personal life? What it, what makes you proud about having been a part of this city's recent history in terms of its development and kind of where it's gone? I've been with Nate Green uh, for all of my career. I mean, mm. I think Nate joined Carl Story about two months after I did in 84. But being a partner with, with Nate for 35 years and then sustaining a partnership with Terry Smith and Burt Matthews for the last 20 years, you know, you, you see a lot of companies that, that evolve and uh, people go in their own way. But we've we've managed something here at Collier's um, and, and that partnership that we've sustained most of our people we don't see you know our guys do stay with us and um have many of them have been with us for for decades as well and uh i think it's unusual to see a company stick together over such a long period of time mm-hmm. so i'm pleased to say that that these guys are my partners and my friends mm-hmm. and that's a neat thing to be able to look back there's really no substitute for history in friendship or relationship or even professional relationships. So that's a neat thing that you're touching on there. We've still got, we've still got another decade or so to go. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. That's great. Well, Tony, thank you so much for your time here. Really insightful, really helpful, and just enjoyable altogether. I appreciate you uh, saying yes to this and, and being willing to just kind of give us your time. Thank you, Zach Doris. Thanks again for listening to the Providing Value Podcast. I would like to thank my guests for their time and effort in making this podcast possible. I'd also like to thank our producer, Jesse Montagna, and visual artist, Brian Freeman, for their help as well. Please take a quick minute to rate and review this show. Your opinion matters and helps spread this podcast to more people in the CRE community. I note here that I, Zach Doris, have no affiliations, partnerships, or business associations with today's guests. The views, thoughts, opinions, and outlooks expressed in this podcast by my guests belong solely to them 
and they do not necessarily reflect my views, thoughts, and opinions, or that of my firm, The Z Doris Group. Thanks again for listening and join us next time on the Providing Value Podcast. Thank you.